1: guys and welcome to episode 3 of the Spider Scoop, I'm your host Noah Goldberg with ESPN Richmond and I'm joined today by a struggling Charlotte Hornets fan but more importantly he writes about the Spiders for a 10 talk and that's Austin Daisy. On today's episode him and I discuss uh, Richmond's closest win against Fordham on Saturday, we look at uh, at large and double by chances down the road and some over-unders. So, Make sure you stay tuned, and we'll have another episode coming out, hopefully, next Sunday night, back on our normal Monday
0: schedule.
1: Alright, what's up, guys? Noah Goldberg here with uh, Austin Daisy. It's about 4.52 Monday afternoon. Uh, Austin beat Fordham 59-53 on the road. I think that was a game none of us were really sweating about, and kind of had to sweat that one. They didn't, Richmond didn't really lead till very late. They, you know, they escaped there with a wins, You know, it's only six-point win. Um, you know, this is a team that's got a couple big games coming up uh, down the line. You got St. Bonaventure and VCU Lumen. Uh, what's your takeaways from this
2: weekend? Um, it was kind of scary for a little bit, I'm not going to lie, but there was always, I had it in me. I was like, okay, we're going to make a run. We're going to bury Fordham. I wasn't I never really was like, we're going to lose, because like, me and you texted during the game. I think I texted you at halftime, and I said, like there's no way we're going to lose, right? And you're like, no, we'll win by like 5 or 10. And I settled down, and it was good to see Blake back out there for sure. And I'm sure it was difficult for them to kind of retranslate into another identity they've been playing without Blake since um, the end of the St. Louis game. So it's been it's been a while since they played with him. That's not a knock on him. That's just a knock on having to... Adjust having your leading scorer back in um, the lineup. So good to see him get a win, and especially good to see Blake play the way he did.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that. So that, I think that was the biggest thing. Is, I guess if you're gonna chalk this close game up to any reason, you're probably gonna say because it's Blake coming back into the lineup. But I think you know a lot of people are gonna argue. Yeah, that's a fair point. That there's gonna take time for him to transition. But you kind of talked about. You know, he looked pretty comfortable in terms yep. of it, physically. Um, but really, he didn't feel like he had the worst game. I don't no, know why he played great, not at all. but I thought there were a lot of other reasons why this game was very close. And I think that you can even say, even if he has issues transitioning back and getting that chemistry, even despite that, this is Fordham we're talking about. This is a team that right. I don't even think should be in the Atlantic 10. This should be a minimum 12.1 on the road at, at the worst.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, it was good to see Blake, he shot four of nine from three, so he obviously was not scared to... Um, jack him back up, and like I said last week on the pod, I saw him um, working out before last weekend's home game against George Washington, and the stroke was not lost whatsoever. And he kind of reassured everybody that might have been thinking it's going to take him a while to get settled back in or get adjusted, but it felt like a very Blake Francis game and a game coming off of a serious injury such as a fractured sternum. And I noted that during twice during the game he fell hard. The first time he fell was right on his chest, and I was – I was worried at first, but I mean, the dude popped right back up and it was like nothing happened. There was another play late in the second half. He ended up diving on the floor, got right back up. So, obviously, he's a tough dude. Don't know how much it was hurting him, but regardless, I think he's ready and. He's ready for the long haul as we head down the road in A10 play.
1: Yeah, I think it's starting to seem like this injury wasn't really as bad as any of us thought. Mm-hmm. Because I think that you know, you and I were saying that obviously it was the four to six week time span. He comes back on the four week end of that, yeah. not the six week. And then the first game back, it was against And I remember you and I both said we're like, even if he's 105, no need ready, to play. <laughs> why would you play him in this game? Yeah. You have a warm up at LaSalle before going to BCU. I don't. I would have played him now. that. I would have only played him 15, 20 minutes in this game. But, I mean, they, the way the game went, they had to play him the whole time. It was a close game. Um, and I think this game, I think this game, even though they didn't play well in terms of the bringing Blake back into the mix, um, I think this game answers some questions about whether or not um, Jacob Gilliard's able to continue his success and share the ball alongside Blake back out there because I think Gilly probably had the best game out there. He not had 22 really. points, 7 of 11 shooting. So, if anything, of the guys he struggled, he wasn't taken away from Jacob. So, I think that was really good to see that they could both um, you know, be the leading scores and both have good, efficient games. Um, so how much do you think, uh, what is Blake's impact, whether it's positive or negative, going kind to of be on the other guys
2: on the team? Uh, I feel like it's going to be nothing but positive. Um, like you said, he came back game one after being hurt for four weeks, and like, he didn't miss a beat. And that's got to give, especially Jacob Gillard, it's got to give him confidence because it takes some weight off of his shoulders where he might have felt in past games like, man, like, as soon as the injury happened, like, oh, leading scores out, I'm going to have to take over, I'm going to have to, this is all going to be on me. So I think that right there, they play well together, and it definitely is going to ease nerves of guys, because um, we saw Grant Golden had a good game. He only scored four points, but he was he was a big factor down low, and we've been seeing him score 20-plus points with Francis out of the lineup. So we're going to see, the stat line's going to look different, but it looks like how it did at the beginning of the season, when they were off to their hot start, and the players buy into that. There are, from what I've seen, there is not a single me on this team. They don't care how the job gets done. They're out there to win. And with Francis back, I think it's only going to be a positive impact, especially with um, not only on offense on the defensive side of the ball as well.
1: Yeah. So, so I agree that I do. I absolutely think it will be a positive impact. I think you're only going to add with him in terms of scoring. The one thing I wouldn't call it a concern, but just one thing I would watch for, and just watching the box scores over the next few games as he comes back is assist-to-turnover ratio, because I think that's been a really big stat for this team all year, is games they've struggled, there have been games where they've turned the ball over a lot, and also when they haven't thrown a lot of assists, I think games where they have more assists than their opponents, I believe they're undefeated this year. Uh, not, correct me, I'm wrong, they're not undefeated, they lost to Dayton, but 11-7 to assist-to-turnover ratio against Fordham, it's not bad, No, but this is one of the best assist-to-turnover ratio teams in the country playing against one of the worst teams in the country, so you'd like to see that be better. Now in comparison... 17 and four assisted turnover against GW. That's a game they dominated. Like I said, Dayton 15 to six at turnover assist, assist to turnover ratio. Mm-hmm. They didn't win the game. Then lost by eight and they trailed the six team in the country late in the game. So it was, it was a game that they played well, especially offensively. So I want to see how Blake affects the ball movement because um, you know Jacob he had a great game against Fordham, but he still only had three assists. Um, and I think like there was a play is like 1550 in the first half. Where Grant hit Gilly for a backdoor cut. Gilly goes up and he sees, he's like, I'm not going to get this layup up. Mm-hmm. Two guys on me. Dishes it out to Blake for the outlet. Blake doesn't take the three, sidesteps, kind of cuts in, doesn't really have anywhere to go. The ball ends up going to Nate, who takes one dribble and she's a pull off mid range. Um, it's wide open, but that's not mm-hmm. the shot you want out of that look when you're hitting Grant or Gilly on the backdoor cut. So I think the thing with Blake is seeing, you know, is he going to be taking. The the three-pointer with 17 seconds left on the shot clock that he doesn't need to take that's a contested shot, is he not swinging the ball when he needs to? Is he not taking the shot when he needs to out of the ball movement? So I don't think he's going to directly take away scoring from other guys and directly just ruin the ball movement. I just want to see what he does in terms of is he making the right reads and gelling into this offense again.
2: Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head. and. At any level of play, if you're out for a month, it takes a while to get your feet back underneath you and have your mind right for full-speed play, especially in a conference such as the Atlantic 10, where even a team like Fordham, if they're playing well, I mean, they have a chance of beating you. And so I'm glad that he did come back early. We were talking about how we didn't want him to play against Fordham, but he was fine. So it's good to have that under his belt, especially heading into Wednesday at LaSalle, which will be – a tougher contest going into it um, than Fordham was. So it'll be another good um, good dress rehearsal before the big one next Saturday against VCU.
1: So I think one stat that was really glaring in this one was 7 of 24 from deep for the Spiders. We've seen them at times struggle on the road. We've seen them shoot okay on the road at times, but we've also seen them struggle a lot on the road to shoot. Um, in conference play, Jacob Gilder only shooting slightly lower than 31% from deep. Um, what do you think have been the causes of some of their inconsistencies shooting shooting the deep ball as they've been one of the top shooting teams, but it's been a little bit inconsistent? Um, you know, Blake was back for this one, so we, you know some of us, I think, kind of shocked some of those inconsistencies up to, well, you know, when Blake goes out, obviously you lose a good shooter, and then it's a double whammy because while you're losing that shooter, now teams can also defend Sherrod and Gilly, which is only going to hurt them. Um, so he came back, and it didn't really seem to improve their shooting this weekend
2: yeah no that's a good point um beginning of the year they were shooting at i mean a blistering pace where they hit i think it was 11 threes in one game and everybody was firing and i think mooney commented on how that's it's just not sustainable over a season so especially on the road this year we've seen this team struggle to shoot anywhere away from the robin center at least for a solid five to ten minute stretch in any arena this year despite even if they've won but yeah, it seems like these mainly happen on the road, which is its just odd, especially at a place like the Rose Hill Gymnasium where there's obviously not it's a not huge probably. crowd impact whatsoever. I mean, they're playing, it looks like a church. So, I mean, it's just weird. I don't know if they're just more comfortable at home, which they obviously probably are, but if this team wants to take the next step and make a run, they're just going to have to figure out how to shoot the ball on the road. its It really is strange. But, yeah, having Blake back, I mean, he shot four of nine. He. Not hesitant whatsoever. Gilliard shot 11, so they were sharing the ball um, consistently. So it was good to see it's good to see both of them working and not having one guy try to take over. Especially when you had a guy. Um, I felt bad for Nick Sherrod on Saturday. He couldn't get anything to hit, so there was a lot of pressure on him as well when Francis was out because he had a couple good games where he was knocking down threes. So hopefully after this one. For Nick, he's going to notice, okay, I can have an off shooting night and we're, we'll still be okay with Blake back in the lineup, especially with how they've been distributing the ball.
1: So, you touched on Nick a little bit there. I want to kind of get back to him. So, when we talk about sh- shooting and consistency, that starts with him because even if, it's not just on the whole year, like even in conference play alone, he's been a great three point shooter, he's shooting over 40% from three, but against Fordham, zero points, 0 of 8 from the field. At VCU, which is right in his backyard, he grew up here in Richmond, so he should be more comfortable playing there than anybody. Five points, one of seven from the field. What's, what's been going on with
2: him? I don't want to speak on his behalf, but you almost have to think if it's something mental. If he has just a mental thing going on when they're not home. Because he's had a few off nights at home, but he shot the ball well at the Robinson, Center. And... It just seems when they go to anywhere that's not the Robinson Center, it can even be Richmond. and went to the Siegel Center and just couldn't get anything to drop. So just
1: so weird because he's played more games than anyone else in this roster.
2: Right. So it's I saw um, earlier on in the year people were saying, "Oh, well, he's coming back from his injury. He's still trying to get back in the swing of things." But as a junior, you just wouldn't think to see him having stretches like this where he's so inconsistent. Because one, he's liable to score twenty points on Wednesday night. After a zero point performance, he's just he's super streaky, and when he's good, he's good, and when he's not hitting, I mean, he's just really not hitting.
1: And it doesn't seem like it matters who he plays against because, like, yeah, against BC, you could say, well, you know, crazy defense, but mm-hmm. then this is for him, he has even worse yeah. than that one. Yeah, yeah, um, so I think so. I want I'm gonna ask this question, I'm gonna start off with answering it because we're talking about my answer right now. But which player on this team is it most important that he's playing at his best and having his best night on any given game? Which guy is most important to have that best game for Richmond to have the most success? I say I think it's Nick Sherratt. Because when you look at the, at the splits, um, we said, so we talked about the Fordham game, we talked about VCU, 3 of 10 from the field, and their loss to Radford for Nick. Um, and some of their good wins they've had this year, like at URI, he was 3 of 4 from deep, did 18 points, in a road win at Davidson. In a game where they dropped 97 points on George Mason, he scored 19 he had twenty one points against Dayton, another game that they played really well in, four of seven from three. So I think it's really important for him because a guy like Gilly, you know, he can have an off night. Because mm-hmm. even if he has an off night and scores, you know, eight, ten points, even if it's five or six, he still might be giving you four steals. Yeah. Know, he still for might sure. be giving you seven assists and could even give you five rebounds. He can do a lot of other things. A guy like Nick, Nick has one job. Nick's job is to go out there, space the floor, shoot, still be a threat to attack uh attack the basket you know be a solid defender but for him like what when he's a non-factor out there there's not a lot of other things he's giving you I, I think that it absolutely kills somebody who has these bad games and I just really don't know what it is because like we said it doesn't seem like sometimes it's on the road sometimes it's at home it's against good teams bad teams but I think he's been their x-factor
2: yeah uh you, you kind of stole that right out of my mouth but for the sake of conversation I'll go different um personally Tyler Burton has made a huge impact when he's come into games. So, especially hand down the stretch with tired legs, if he can come back in off the bench and give Richmond a solid 10 to 15 minutes and score eight points, he had eight points and nine rebounds. How many minutes did he play on Saturday? It wasn't um, too much, was it? Yeah, he had around 15. Yeah, around he 15. 15 yeah, so, I mean, that that is solid production for a short amount of time, and especially as a freshman to have – Somebody like that, not only for this year, but for years to come, Mm -hmm. to have him come off the bench and just know he's going to get the job done for you, and know he's going to not only score for you, but he's going to snag some rebounds, Mm -hmm. and his athleticism, I think I've said this every single podcast, I need to get a t-shirt or something, but yeah, but I mean, the dude, he's a freak. He is just super athletic, he's fun to watch, and I'm really enjoying watching him grow, and... I think he's going to be really, really important down the stretch, along with Sherrod. You can hit the nail on the head with that. But um, Burton's going to be huge if this team wants to make a solid run, especially with tired legs as we head closer towards the end of the season. Do
1: you want to hear some fun Tyler Burton stats? I do. So on the Spiders, Tyler is averaging 12 rebounds per 40 minutes. That ranks first on the team. Wow. He he has a 17.4 total rebounding percentage, first on the team. His defensive rating, 89.5, first on the team. (laughs) His offensive rating, second on the team at 119.1. His turnover percentage is just slightly worse than Grant and Nate's, and obviously it's going to be better than Gillies because they're back yeah. players, but slightly worse than Grant and Nate. His 67% true shooting percentage, second on the team. This guy needs to be playing more minutes. He's your best rebounder out there. He's one of your best defenders. The only reason you can chalk up not giving him more than 15 minutes a game is strictly because He's a freshman learning the offensive system. You know, we talked about it with him on the last podcast where he says, you know, I feel pretty comfortable now, but there still are times, you know, in practice where they call it a play, and I'm not really sure what it is, and the older guys know it right off their head. Like, obviously there are those moments. Like, no one's saying those moments don't exist. But Chris Mooney, he's literally first and <laughs> second in like seven stats. What are you waiting for? Why is this guy not playing twenty two minutes per game? Someone needs to like knock Mike Rhodes and Chris Mooney with hammers and tell them, play your freshman. Like it's ridiculous.
2: Now, yeah, I, I agree. When, when Tyler's in, he makes an impact. And even if he's not scoring, like you said, he's going to get a rebound. He's going to be efficient. And kind of speaking on what he said about having plays that he doesn't really know, it takes a lot for somebody to say that. I feel like, especially in basketball now, it's turning to kind of an ego-type game. And that right there speaks a lot on just not only the kid he is, but the player he is and his strive to be the best that he can be. I mean, something as simple as admitting that, oh, I don't know that play. Most people would BS through that and like, oh, no, 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 that was just the wrong call and all that. So, no, great kid, and, yeah, he, he deserves to be playing more, and he's going to be really important down the stretch for Richmond.
1: Yeah, we seriously can't stress enough how mature this kid is. I mean, obviously, so, like, you know, I, I'm a student on campus. I've seen him around in the dining hall. Like, I've been around him on campus and even just, like, totally just as friends, like, off camera. Like, I'll say to him, I'll just, like, you know, I'll just, like, ask him, like, you know, like, be honest. Like, this is off camera, off the record, like. You know how are you feeling? Like feeling pretty confident after a good game. Like it doesn't matter if it's in that conversation in the dining hall or if it's on a podcast. His answer has been the same. Yeah, like every time. It's I literally I take a game by game. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to play my like. It's the same.
2: And yeah, he yeah he lives by that too. That he's not just saying something to say it to the media. He takes it game by game, and that's why I think he's going to have an extremely successful career. Hopefully, all of it in Richmond.
1: All right. So I think we can go on to Twitter questions now. Uh, start getting into some of the Richmond's trajectory, looking at the eight ten 10 tournament, March Madness maybe. Um, so the first question comes in from Atlantic Teen. Uh, I want to preface this by apologizing for not having a Ken Palm subscription. Austin's hooking me up, so I will have those defensive efficiency numbers next time. Um, so he asks, Richmond was 8-10's second worst defense last season but ranks fourth in the conference this year in defense. How did that happen? And is Nick Sherrod that much of a difference maker?
2: That's tough. Um, compared to last year, it just seems that they're just more aggressive, and they seem to be hammering the boards more. And especially if you have a guy, Gilbert, I haven't looked lately, but he's been in the number one spot all year across Division One basketball in total steals. So if you have a guy like that on your team, you're going to have a good defensive team as a whole. Um, but I think it's just the aggression, really. That It's night and day between – this year and last year, because the only game I actually went to last year was that Godforsaken Longwood game where they lost to. And, um, th- I mean, there was just zero aggression. It was like watching a middle school basketball game. There was no intensity, nothing. But not only ha- with the team, but the crowd itself has brought intensity to the Robinson Center. And I feel like they're feeding off of that. And getting to the Nick Sherrod portion of that um, question, there were a lot of worries that if he would return to how he was after his injury and we hit on how he's inconsistent and how he can be really good but I really do think he can be the difference maker for this team not only on offense but on defense he's a big body and if he starts hitting shots down the stretch I'm really hoping for a double bye in Brooklyn yeah
1: um so I think that in terms of their defensive improvements I really think it's just general roster change yeah because I think that a, you have factor A just of everyone getting older. Obviously, last year they were playing all freshmen and sophomores. You know They had a couple juniors, uh, Julius Johnson, Noah Yates, come off the bench. Um, but obviously, defense is also is a huge thing on experience. It's knowing where to be. It's anticipating, knowing when to switch to their teammates. Um, but also, obviously, they've switched to primarily man-to-man defense this year, which I think has done numbers for them, especially when you look at the athleticism and the quickness of this team. Guys like Andre Gustafson, a lengthy, quick, uh, quick 6'4 guard, uh, even a guy like Blake is only six feet but he's a really quick guard so I think for him a man-to-man is going to be much more suited for a player like that than defense because he can just rely on being quick and being able to switch um, so I think the man-to-man's been big and also just having a lot more depth this year too they're consistently playing eight nine guys deep sometimes they're even going 10 whereas last year they were game where they they're going seven deep um, so just being able to save the energy um, defensive efforts in terms of Nick Sherrod it's not a bad defender. Hmm. I, had, I had some gripes in the first few games. I thought the first five games of the year, I thought he was the worst defender on the team. I thought he played terrible. I think since then, he's been much better. You know, he's obviously not the most laterally quick guy, but he, we've seen his improvements. His, he has a good IQ. He knows um, when his teammates are going to switch really well. But I really think for them, it's been an issue of having more depth this year, and I just think the man-to-man defense suits his team much better. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, so going on to the next question, Amelia, Amelia Vogler asks, Is the path to the double-buy still alive? What's the obstacle in our path, if any? So if I can go first on this, I want to preface my answer with VCU is the biggest game remaining on the schedule. I'm not contesting that. That is absolutely certain. Rivalry, whatever. VCU is the biggest game. But in terms of their path to the double-buy, which has nothing to do with that large conversation, it's conference standings, at St. Bonaventure is their biggest game and their biggest obstacle. It's a very difficult place to play on the road. Mm. It's a matchup issue with Oshun, a big physical, defensive, shot-blocking interior threat that could potentially give Grant Golden problems. And that's a game where, again, we keep come back to it, Tyler Burden could be big in that game, dealing with the size and the physicality of them. So that is absolutely their biggest obstacle in terms of getting the double bye. But looking down the schedule, you're already up on on St. Louis in terms of standing, so unless they can catch your record, that losing the head-to-head of them shouldn't really matter. You have head-to-head on URI, but at this point I think it's very unlikely they pass URI. So VCU, big game, because if, yeah, if you can split head-to-head with them, you actually have an easier schedule than them, so there's a chance they could leapfrog VCU in that 3 seed. But in terms of just getting the double buy just making sure you get that 4 seed, they're tied with the record against St. Bonaventure, they only get to play them once. It's on the road, that's absolutely their biggest obstacle. And if you just want to throw some at-large stock in there, that's a game too, where it can't really help you that much in terms of at large. I think they're only about like one thirteen or something like that in the net rankings. So in terms of quad wins, will that make that a quad two win? I believe. Yeah, yeah. should. One two win. So it's a good it's a good win, but that's not going to make or break um, your season right there. Whereas if you lose that game, um, you're pretty much pretty much if they lose another game this year, I would say unless they lose a close one to VCU, probably not getting an at large. So that St. Bonaventure game is going to be huge. And Duquesne, I think. Duquesne's a very beautiful team.
2: They've already dropped a game. Uh, they got four losses in conference. So I don't think that's going to be a huge game on the road to wrap it up. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, no, the path to a double bye is very much alive. And, I mean, I feel like Richmond controls their own destiny. They're, like you said, beating URI was big at the time. But, yeah, I don't see us catching them. So splitting with VCU will be will be really big. Yeah. Um, as well as going up to uh, New York against St. Bonaventure. That's another one that's just got trap game written all over it because that's right after the VCU game, isn't it? No, George Mason and then St. Bonaventure. So a George Mason went at home should happen. Say, let's, for the sake of this, let's say Richmond beats VCU, beats George Mason. They're now 9-3 and three in conference. They're sitting pretty, but then they have to head to St. Bonaventure. And like you said, they're a team that's kind of been flying under the radar. They have – they got guys that can play and a tough environment. So beating Saint Bonaventure, as weird as that sounds, might be the most important game if they beat VCU. Yeah. If they if they lose to VCU, they 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 have to win out. There's no ifs ands, ands and buts around that. But no, I still not only the fan in me, but just from watching basketball this year, I think Richmond will be in the top four of this conference. But they just got to take care of business when they can and can't afford to cough up a loss against a team like LaSalle or um, George Washington who's been playing well that could be another interesting game so there's no there's no gimme games at this point in the season anymore because teams are starting to play better so Richmond controls their own destiny if they their biggest obstacle could be them so I'll be inter- interested to see how that plays out yeah
1: I, I agree with that I think their biggest obstacle is definitely themselves when they turn the ball over and they don't we've seen them to, I mean the road inconsistency with the shooting like shoot themselves in the foot um so I guess kind of bouncing off of that so we talked about now setting yourself up for that four seed how about in terms of at large where do you think their chances are of getting an at large bid do you think they're going to get an at large
2: bid can they afford to lose any games and still get an at large bid um well they sure dodged a bullet on Saturday where people were sure worried that obviously if you lose to Fordham you're done but um they didn't so we don't have to worry about that um they can probably lose to VCU and still be in consideration, um, but it's going to be tough. They are, they'll definitely be on the outside looking in with a loss to VCU. But I mean, if they win out, if they win the rest of their games in conference and go to Brooklyn and make it to Saturday, make it to or maybe even perform well on Friday night and close game, they'll they'll be in the talk. They'll be on the bubble. They'll um. It'll give you reason to watch Selection Sunday. But yeah, no, they obviously losing never helps your resume, but they really can't afford a loss unless it's a super close game to VCU on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think the VCU, they're 35 in the net ratings right now. So that's a quad two game for them playing at home. That game's not going to kill you. Like you said, it's rivalry. But I just think, you know, especially as the fans, too, you go back and look at that last one, like they lost by 19 points. Even without Blake Francis, I mean, No one was looking at that. Um, Shout out all the VCU fans on Twitter for lighting me up. Deservedly so for saying plus nine Richmond. I think hindsight 2020, I still would look back and say that line looks really big. That should have been a close game. But the fact is, it wasn't. So as Richmond fans, you have your leading scorer back in Blake Francis now. Just in terms of pride for the city, you're trying to make the tournament this year. VCU's right there in standings. I'd call that a must-win game for them. Um, but I, at the same time, they can afford that loss. And, you know, who knows? Maybe VCU closes out in the top 30 in the net rankings and that becomes a quad one loss. We'd much rather have people. Oh, team. for sure. Um, you know, the eight has been better this year. I think the the bottom teams have been a lot stronger, which is still helping your at-large chances, but it, they, you, you need to build uh, as many resume-building wins as you
2: can. Yeah, that's really the last, last one left on the schedule, honestly.
1: Yeah, as we said, Saint, at St. Saint Bonaventure and at Duquesne are going to be impactful games in terms of your your conference standings, but in terms of, you know, risk-reward, a lot of risk, there's not much reward in those games. Mm-hmm. Those aren't big resume-building uh, games. Um, George Mason, not a, not really a chance. George Washington, not a chance. Davidson isn't really going to help build your resume at all. So those are really the same Bonaventure VCU. Probably your last shots to do anything. Um, so I guess going from there, we'll move on to over-unders. It's so a little fun one here. Chris Mooney, over-under half of a technical foul the rest of the way this Over.
2: I... Which
1: game does
2: he get in That's tough. Um, You would like to say VCU, just because you think the environment and the atmosphere, but I've loved watching him do the the half-jacket ripoff against a team like LaSalle or like a St. Joe's, which has been kind of funny to me. So if I'm going to make a prediction on when he's going to get teed up again, I joked on it being the VCU game, but that's the one that – He's going to feel the pressure from the fans, especially after how they showed up at the Siegel Center. Um, we already know how the Richmond fan base feels about Chris Mooney. So to f- if if it's going bad and if they need a spark, I can definitely see a technical foul in that game. But, no, he's definitely getting at least one tech the rest of the year, for sure.
1: So I think it will be against St. Bonaventure. I, I can see that. One there because I think the VCU is – such a big game, and you already have your crowd behind you. That's fair. When you're at home, you don't necessarily, even if you're losing, don't you're, you can get that spark in other ways. You have the crowd there, you have the rivalry. I think a game like Saint Bonaventure, where you're playing against a really, you're playing in a really, really tough environment. That's a game that you know on paper everyone expects them to win in terms of just rankings comparison. But we all know that's going to be an extremely difficult, yeah. and extremely meaningful game. I could absolutely see that being a game where if they're just kind of throwing a dud, not shooting the ball tries to throw a little juice, um, get a little energy in there. So that's what I would say. Uh, going on to the next one, Jacob Gillard, as we said before, shoot 30.8% from three in conference play. This was a guy that was, you know, hovering around 40% on the year coming into A-10 play. Do you think that he gets his in-conference average up to 36%,
2: percent You say 35.5%? Um, yeah, because I, I almost feel like he plays with more confidence when Blake's on the floor with him. Because, like I touched on earlier, he doesn't he doesn't have to necessarily do it all. He doesn't have to do everything a guard needs to do when you have Blake Francis, who obviously we know he was a leading scorer. Um, so, no, I think he's going to have better shot selection. I, know, I felt like in the VCU game he was obviously being smothered on offense by VCU, and it just felt like he was kind of just throwing stuff up because he was getting frustrated. But I feel like now he's going to get better looks with a guy like um, – Blake facilitating and leading some open looks, and also with Grant. I've liked watching Grant Golden down low, watching him dish it out, and he's good for a um, assist on a three pointer from inside the paint too. So I can I can definitely see him raising that above the um, what you say thirty five percent. Yeah, I can see him going above that for sure.
1: Yeah, so I guess I I'm really tough because I think he's gonna shoot the ball better. But in terms of if he's gonna be able to get it up five and a half percent, I just don't know if he's gonna shoot the ball enough. To raise it up now that Blake's back because he's not going to be taking as many shots from outside. Um, I think especially, especially if Nick can get it going again, maybe Gilly uh, will have to. And like you said, Grant's been playing a lot better lately, and obviously he's a great distributor and can get Gilly threes. But I think that a lot of his assists go on those, to Gilly at least, go on those backdoor cuts. Um, and he, obviously they have the high, the, the ball screens, the dribble handoff for Gilly shooting a three off of that. But I think part of the way Grant's been playing better also has been more as a scorer, and mm-hmm. scoring more and doing some less distributing. Um, so I would probably go on the under on that one, but I think it's going to be really close. I think it's more about volume more than if he's going to
2: improve. Yeah, no, and the good thing about that is he doesn't have to get above 35% for this yeah. team to be successful. So that that's another thing to be excited about, especially with having a guy like Blake back in the lineup.
1: So last one. Uh, over unders on Gabe errors and appearances the rest of the way. Two and a half. Now here are a couple important factors I want you to think about. So schedule in terms of potential walk-on entry opportunities. You've got At La Wednesday, I think that's a possibility, but it's a road game. Yeah. Then obviously not a VCU or against VCU. Home against George Mason, I'd say possible. That's yeah. blow blowout. At St. Bonaventure, probably not. At George Washington, possible. Home against Mass UMass, possible. And then home against Davidson, possible. And the other thing you have to think about, too, though, is he's the last walk-on on the team. He's the freshman. So there will be some game for Gately gets in and Cole gets in, but Arizona doesn't. So two and a half over under gave errors and appearances.
2: Um, at first, before you broke down the schedule, I would have said under. Mm-hmm. But that really got me thinking. I don't see it happening on the road. George Washington may be the only one. But um, George Mason, UMass, and Davidson, those all three have potential to be Richmond routes, so for the fun of it, I'm going to take the over, and now that's I'm going to be actively pulling for that while sitting there watching.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see it. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe me dropping uh, Gabe for Jake for Wojcik on my fantasy team gives me a little motivation, maybe try a little bit harder in practice, but yeah, you know, just for the heck of it, let's say over, why not? Let's have a fun year, get some more blowout wins. All right, that pretty much uh, wraps it up for me. Anything else from you?
2: Let's beat LaSalle on Wednesday.
1: Let's do it. Alright, thanks guys for listening. I uh, should have another episode out. Hopefully, well, I was away this weekend in Boston, so hopefully we'll be recording uh, next Sunday night and have one for you guys on
0: Monday. So stay tuned. Bitch sit on my face, I attack that. Choose up, Lil John, I'm finna pack him. When it comes to my bitch, I'm straight active. Dirt ball in a coo smoking cat piss. Lil bitch, shut the fuck up. Tell your best friend. Shut the fuck. Up. My face, I attack that choose up, Lil John. I'm finna pack him. When it comes to my bitch, I'm straight actin'. Seven fig nigga with the big drip on me. Post on your block with your wish list on me. Bitch sit on my face, I attack that. Choose up Lil John, I'm finna pack him. When it comes to my bitch, I'm straight active. Dirt ball in the couch, smoking cat piss. Lil' bitch, shut the fuck up. Tell your best friend, shut the fuck up. Ayy, lil' bitch, shut the fuck up. Tell your best friend, shut the fuck up.